the Tower Records was like, it was like, it should have been a, a national pony, you know, a landmark. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Better Each Day podcast radio show with Bruce Hilliard. Today and every day, reaching out for innovative ideas in every way. Yeah, Today's show yeah. is brought to you by your future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee. Ooh, make a better stay now, baby. Chuck Bright is today's guest. When Chuck is not fighting crime by night, he is best known as the bassist from Choir Riot. Thank you for being here with me, Bruce Hilliard, and today's guest, Chuck Bright, to talk about his new and first solo album, or project as he refers to it, Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. Keeping track of all these, sometimes I set an alarm to remind me, you know. I do that too, yeah. It's been great doing, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm doing like three to four interviews and a lot of Zoom calls and, and that because there's so much interest in after people finally hear the record to to want to talk about it, which has been fantastic on my end. Well, I'm looking through your uh, bio here. You've played with everybody. <laughs> you want to well, uh, you want to list off the notables. Every, I've been fortunate, definitely, uh, to have you know worked with you know iconic artists like Alice Cooper, Nugent, and Greg Allman, and Gene Simmons at, of Kiss. And I actually played racquetball when he was like when we were signed to his label. Um, we would get together and play, and and he would play me you know artists in his in his roles <laughs> that that he he goes I'm considering this band. What do you think? Yeah, you know, um, really funny guy. But yeah, I've been, you know, I just, I've, I've been lucky in that way. I grew up here. So, you know, you're kind of in it and it, things can fall into place like that. So you played with Montrose as well. Well, yeah, you know, which was great. I got my Ed Roth, who actually plays piano on one of the songs on the album, um, was working with Ronnie and he, and he, uh, he called me up and um, my good friend Pat Torpy was brought on as well. Um you know, he's my late friend, Pat, who's also on my album. But um, we, yeah, we, we got together, did some live shows. Um, that album, the first Montrose record with Sammy Hager's, one of my uh, all-time favorite. It's a top 10 for me for rock and roll. I think everybody yeah. that likes In Your Face rock and roll needs to hear Bad Motor Scooter and, yep. and uh, Rock Candy and all that. But it was a joy playing with them. I enjoyed it. In fact, Eric Singer, who you know from Kiss, uh, came on when Pat Pat had to go. Pat left to do something. I don't remember what why the change, but Eric Singer came on board and and uh, which was really great too because he's a funny guy and a really great drummer. We actually had a little jam band together too, and he's how I got into Alice Cooper because he was playing with Alice, and Alice had a seventy five city seventeen country tour coming up, and Ronnie was working once in a while, and. Uh, so I, you know, when, when, uh, Eric said, Hey, you want to come down and play, you know, play with the band? I said, yeah, all right, let me, let me see. And I, I auditioned and got it. And, uh, then I had to call Ronnie, but when I called Ronnie, I said, Hey, Ronnie, listen, I got this great tour. I know you understand, um, the situation financially. Um, but, um, I have this, the guy, my roommate is Ricky Phillips, who you might know at that point he was, Fatty English and the babies. And he's from Northern California. Like you, I think you'll really dig him. Why don't you 
check him out. Maybe become close friends. Ricky put together that that retrospective album of unfinished material of Ronnie's, and and uh, so that really worked out for him. Worked out for me. I, you know, that's one of my highlights of my career was doing that tour with Alice. It was just amazing all the places we went, and I would hang out with him during the day and go shopping. And he liked to get things on a. He, he loved to find the best deal. He would get it. And then he would brag about it, bring it back to the dressing room, show everybody, check this out. This only costs whatever it costs. And everybody goes, wow, that's amazing. He goes, who wants it? Yeah. <laughs> He's give it away. <laughs> What's it do? <laughs> he gave me a pair of uh, blue, uh, turquoise blue snakeskin boots. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, you know, so, yeah, back to what you were saying. I'm very, uh, yeah, I've, I've been lucky to play with a lot of people. And I've had some bands, you know, House of Lords is a band. I was in Jafria obviously 26 years in quiet riot. And I was part of getting that whole thing signed and fought to get the song, come on, feel the noise done. Cause Kevin did not want to do it. And I fought with the producer. I just said, look, we don't have anything. It's like, at, we used to have a, ter- I don't know if they use this term anymore, but it's CHR meaning contemporary hit radio. I go, we don't really have a CHR song. We don't have anything that could, could be a pop tune or anything, you know, close. It's all a hard rock album. You know I mean? It's only going to do so much. And we argued and argued. Finally, he caved in and that changed. That song changed the fabric of the whole music scene. Totally. It went from new wave to like hard rock bands with a lot of hair. So, I'm, you know, I'm lucky that I'm part of that history. You know, just being a, even though I'm, I kind of feel like I'm a footnote, but nevertheless, I was part of it. I'm the bass player. I'm banging your head. Don't want to let you go. And I sing on every track and I've done a bunch of other, uh, nine albums with quiet Riot, but I've, you know, I've done a lot of other things I'm really proud of. Um, and more so now I want this, my first ever solo record to be my legacy more because it speaks more to my musicality um, and what I'm about than, you know, the very first thing I ever did, which was the mental health record, which, you know, people go, Oh yeah, he's that guy that played that rock thing. It was a big hit. No, no, no. Check this out. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's nothing what, about what this album's about. That's for sure. When you hear it, called "Sheltering Sky," right? Well, yeah, the pro- it's actually called Chuck Wright's "Sheltering Sky," yeah. and I, a lot of people separate it like Chuck Wright and "Sheltering Sky" is the title of the album. But I kind of because I have forty-one amazing guest performers yeah. on this, and they're friends, of mine, and they're from bands you would know a lot of them, and and um, because of that, I kind of felt it was more like a uh, an all-encompassing project kind of thing. But it's my song. I like, Nine of, there's nine originals, which I wrote, wrote them or co-wrote most of them. And there's two covers. Um, and one cover I did, I, uh, it's a song I've always loved my whole, since I was a kid. I saw the Youngbloods when I was a little kid. Um, song called Darkness, Darkness. Darkness, Darkness. I listened to that. What a cool version you guys do. Yeah, well, I wanted to do a truly Celtic version of, of that song. In fact, it could be in a Braveheart movie, I think, the way it sounds. <laughs> I, actually have, I actually have three different drummers playing tom-toms doing a pattern and I brought in, I have an acoustic group here called acoustic saints. The guitar players, an amazing fiddle players. So I said, Hey, listen, I'm doing this song. Can you play, you know, so I have fiddle on it. I have Bahrain and the drummers and, you know, I'm playing acoustic on it and bass on it. And then, uh, it just, it, it's really moody. The singer on it's David Victor, who's a close friend of mine who was in Boston, uh, the band Boston for a couple of years. And, um, it, it's just, it's just really moody that all of a sudden it just kicks ass at the end, like it goes into a jig. You know, you don't expect it to go there at all, but it just kicks ass at the end.
Yeah, and to cover a song like that, because it was out when you were a kid. Yeah, a little kid, yeah. I mean, I, I think I saw them when I was 14 with, with I went to see uh, Lee Michaels, who's a, a keyboard organ player with a drummer, who, he had a big hit out, but I, you know, I learned to play drums at that time, too. At the same time I played bass, I just didn't want to set up all that stuff, so I decided to just be a bass player. Hey, anyway. A sidebar, I, I opened for Lee Michaels, gosh, maybe 25, really? 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, he'd just done this. He went on sabbatical. He went to Hawaii for like two years. Everybody forgot who he was. So when he came back to play, yeah. he didn't get an encore, so he like mooned the audience as he left. He was. I couldn't believe how loud he was when I saw it because he was playing through like a guitar player playing through stacks of Marshalls and his Leslie's. Um, but I thought he was great. I, you know, whatever. I, I, he has, he has some restaurants here called killer shrimp oh. in California. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's all they serve. <laughs> it's <a> shrimp. <laughs> it's just kind of a, a forest it's gum really, shrimp deal. Huh? I know the gum place has everything, but um, <laughs> anyway, that's it. But that's how I found that. I mean, that song has always, and one of those songs that just resonates with me it's it's a the lyrically and the vibe of it and all that so i just i started jamming on it and and um then i finished it you know that's kind of how that came about some of the songs there's three songs on the album that one of them being um the cover and i did a, a, a video with the 3d animator friend of mine named drew lanius um we have marching uh ruth ginsburg's in the in the video but it's a song called army of me and that's the army is her and it was during the unrest and all the craziness, the riots, and yeah. you know. And there's a there's a scene where a girl writes, "My body, my choice," across it. So it's a little bit political in nature. But that song came about. Um, it's a Bjork song that came out in 1995, and it was a big hit for her. And I was in the studio. Um, I would get together with my late friend Pat Torpy, you might know from Mr. Big, and Lanny Cordola, who was in House of Lords with me, and I've done a lot of other album projects. I did seven film scores with him. Anyway, we, we get in the studio and we just start jamming uh, that song, you know, because Pat liked the drum beat, which was lifted from Led Zeppelin's Levy Breaks. And we just jammed on it. And I, I, re I mean, before 18 months ago or something, I just, I found these tracks that we had recorded and put away. So that's basically just drum tracks, rhythm, guitar, and bass.
And I went, this stuff is killer. I, I can't, you know, I forgot about it, right? I go, I can't let this just disappear into the ethos and never be heard. And I want to honor Pat. And um, so I finished three songs from those sessions. Um, one of them just came out is my my second single called Throwing Stones, which um, was lyrically, a, it's an anti-war message um, that was written um, just before the end of the year by Joe Retta, who sings it um, as well. He came up with the vocal melody on it. Um, it He wrote that before this year started and before the Russian invasion. So it's really timely. So when I did a video for it, I really thought that song kicked it's awesome. And I said, you know, I got to do a video for this. So it kind of ties into what's going on in the world right now. It's really, it's an up-tempo. One reviewer compared it to if, if Primus and uh, Stevie Wonder got together. Oh, wow. Yeah. So basically the, the idea is lyrically is that as humans, we started throwing stones at each other and now we're, now we're throwing missiles, launching missiles and bombs. And when are we going to learn? You know, how, how much longer as a race is it going to take? <laughs> so basically that's, that's the message in the song and that love is the answer. You know, let's, let's go the other side. So it's, it's kind of like that. I mean, I grew up in the, in the uh, Vietnam civil rights riots and era, you know, so, so this kind of stuff still resonates with me when these things come up. I, I'm not a sideline person. I definitely think you need to, to take a position on things. Otherwise, you're siding with the opposite side, I, I, whatever, it, from what you feel. I got to tell you, it's really rewarding to sit. I mean, I took a really bad situation, which is the pandemic. You know, we've lost a million people. And I just took that feeling that I had when it first happened. And I was looking around at everything, and it felt like a post-apocalyptic world. I mean, Vegas, New York City, all these major cities were empty. And it, you know, nobody's, it was, it's kind of a bizarre feeling. I wrote my first song um, that's on this album uh, called Weight of Silence. And um, I edited together a video, just me playing everything and um, some drone footage of the empty cities and one character who's uh, one human in a hazmat suit, who's like the last man on earth. And there's an, uh, an empty subway train just going throughout the video. And uh, my, a friend of mine named, uh, Troy Lucetta from the band Tesla reached out and he goes, man, I love this. This song is great, man. It would sound great with drums on it. And I go, yeah, you know what? I never thought about it, but you're right. You, he has a studio, so he put some drums on it. And then another friend of mine named Alan Hines, who's a top jazz fusion guitar player uh, here in town. Uh, he sells out in every place. He, he said, dude, I, I'll play on this. I'll, I'll, so he sent me some solo stuff over it and I edited it together. And then Derek Sherini and I, I, reached out to him. I heard he liked it. He from dream theater. Um, he has some killer solo albums out too, Derek Sherinian, but he added keyboards. So suddenly I have a new version of the song. I re-edited that together and put Alan and Troy into it. I asked them to film themselves, you know, recording and playing the song. And just a few days ago, just before my albums released, I found out that I won uh, best instrumental and best video in the rock music Alliance. Um, awards oh cool so which yeah kind of kind of i went what I, you know what, what's funny i didn't know i was nominated i was up against joe satriani and john five and a bunch of other really great artists wow yeah yeah so that kind of all kind of uh, you know it all just kind of fell into place you know i wasn't planning on doing a solo album i just started writing songs that i'd want to hear 
And I would reach out to different friends of mine. I say, Hey, check this out. This is what I'm working on. And do you want to play on it? And they go, yeah, man, I'm in. So they would add, like if I needed it, you know, I wanted this really aggressive rock solo. So I, I reached out, I reached out to my friend, uh, Scotty Hill from Skid Row and he, uh, he just ripped it up. And then I, I added some, uh, that Pink Floyd, uh, lap steel on it. I'm trying I try to make things sound a little bit fresh and not too, you know, have elements of the past, but also, you know, fresh as, as I could, as I was building it, but it's basically just music. I'd like to hear suddenly I have five songs done and I did this video and I, I took it, I go, I think I've got something here now. And I took it around and, um, Brian, oh, Brian Pereira over at Cleopatra, um, dug it and, and I know him, you know, and it's good to know I can actually call the president of a label, <laughs> you know, at, at home. And, um, he said, yeah, this is great. Then he signed it. So, it you know and being on a record label a lot of people go well you should just do it yourself the way things are but you know what i think it adds legitimacy to everything and it's also nice to have a team behind you helping i mean that's why you and i are talking right now yeah and that's they, good they, to hear you say that too it's kind of one of those topics that comes up a lot the situation of the industry right now well the industry something i mean really an album nowadays compared to like the 80s for instance um it's basically a promotional item for for you know, touring or selling merch or whatever. It's, mm. it's, uh, it's the revenue stream factor of it's really like just evaporated basically. I mean, you know what people make on Spotify now people, I mean, my, the next day, my video, every single song was loaded on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Mm. You know, like, it's like, you're basically just giving it away unless somebody wants to get, which I encourage them to do like what I would do uh, is to get the, the uh, actual CD package. I mean, the cover on this was done by Glenn Wexler, who's a, one of my best, probably my best friend, who you might know. He's done two Van Halen, Rush, Kiss. He's worked with Michael Jackson. I mean, he's yeah. the best. In the, and he, I would say, because we're best friends, I would say, hey, check out this song that I'm working on. He gets where I'm coming from. He totally comes from the same area. He likes, he loves all the same uh, artists I do. And, um, and he's, and he's got a critical ear too. But um, I would send him, send him things as I was going and then he reached out to me and knowing that I'm a graphic designer and I, I had like 10 different ideas for the cover. He reached out to me and he goes, he goes, you know, do you want me to do this? I'll do this for you if you want me to. And I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> of course I do. Go for it. You know, <laughs> I, and really I think people should get the package. It's a, it's an amazing cover. It's, it's uh, basically a, a, there's a vulture rising out of desolation and the vulture uh, usually is a, a symbol of death. And in this case, it's a symbol of hope. And it's, there's an eclipse that just finished as it's rising out. It's, he, he, that's what he got from it. That's what the album made him feel like. Oh, so he put together the, the, the visual concept yeah. himself then. Yeah. So cool. it, there's a lot of darkness in the, in the record mood-wise. It feels cinematic. It's deep. There's a lot of diversity, but it, there's a lot of hope in it, in lyric and in the feeling on some of the songs. That's what he came up with, and I love it.
take until we grow. Yeah, I, I really think uh, the, the music world needs physical objects like we had when we had albums. You know, the streaming thing, I think, will eventually implode. I don't know what it's, Waterloo is going to be, but I'm, I'm hoping. How about, how about everybody that's, that's missed that great opportunity? I mean, last, last night, I run this show called Ultimate Jam Night in, in, uh, at the Whiskey A Go-Go. And a block from the Whiskey A Go-Go is Tower Records which was, it's an iconic record store. And that mm-hmm. I remember ever since I was a little a kid, because I started playing the strip and, and all that in, in the late seventies with my, with my original band. And the tower records was like, it was like, it should have been a, a national monument, you know, a mm-hmm. landmark. It's, I walked by there last night and it's like, gone. It's it just, they're turning into a retail store or something. It's like so depressing. People are missing that opportunity of going into a record store, perusing through the albums. Maybe the guy plays something that you go, wow, what's that? That's great. And then you ask them and you discover some new music. And a lot of times you're going in for one album and you end up taking five home. I had a guy when I was in high school at this record store that, that he kind of found out what I was into. And he goes, man, you got to get this, this newspaper magazine. It's called Melody Makers from England. And it had all these cool bands like Humble Pie and you name it. Where all wow. these new, they were new then coming up. So I discovered a lot of the music that influenced me through that that newspaper magazine. And in fact, I was um, driving down Sunset Boulevard. I wasn't driving because I didn't have a driver's license yet. Um, my my best friend at the time had he he was driving my mom's car. We were going down Sunset. The whiskey a go go, the whiskey a go go. Mark he said yes, five dollars. And I said, man, I think that that band's supposed to be really good. I heard that they're, they're, we should go check that out. So I went in there and that I that turned my head around. I went from Black Sabbath, the purple guy to a prog head. I, I didn't realize that you could do this kind of music. It'd be that intricate. And, you know, I became a big um, fan of uh, like King Crimson. In fact, I did a my English class. Um, I did 21st Century Schizoid Man as a report and the, t- <laughs> yeah. the teacher was so blown away. She played the whole album for the kids. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking around and these kids are like falling asleep almost. Some of them and the other ones are like totally intrigued because Pete Sinfield's lyrics are so incredible. That's why really she wanted the, the uh, class to listen. Um, but bringing that in was what got me a lot of brownie. <laughs> points. I became, became a, prog, a prog guy and there's, there's elements of that on my album throughout it's not it's not you wouldn't call it a prog album i didn't even think my album falls under a category really because it's so many different styles on it and uh but it's it's songwriting you know it's not, that's all i did is i just sat down and got to compose again because i had time i was doing weekend flyouts basically every weekend with cry right and then running ultimate jam night which is i coordinate between 45 and like 70 pro musicians you know and it was a weekly show and that's like you can't imagine how stressful it's like herding cats it's like come on you know <laughs> yeah. like yeah we had a show yesterday we were celebrating um british artists right and and now we're gonna that was part one because i realized how many amazing artists come out, come out of england right and and yesterday the singer who's a great bowie guy he he actually does a tribute show to bowie he's amazing he sends me a message. He goes, oh, I can't make it. My my uh, wife came down with COVID. I went, what? That's <laughs> like mm. the day of the show. So oh, I had to like scramble. So I spent a couple hours scrambling. But that's, 
that's a typical thing that happens, you know, when you're dealing with guys, with that many guys, somebody's, somebody's going to get a flat tire. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got some interesting stories. I'm just waiting for Chuck Wright, the movie, to come out. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I, I have been asked and, and suggested that I write a book from yeah. the beginning because of a lot, because of all the different artists I've worked with and stories that are there. But man, the, the best way for stories to come out for me is in conversation. If I sit around a, a, a round table with a bunch of guys from my era and we start, we go, remember when? Yeah. That's, those, those brain cells come back to life. Otherwise, if I try to rack my brain, unless I see uh, a photo, I have photo albums before we got digital stuff in, in my closet. I mean, stacks. Because I would, I'm one of those guys who would like cut out an article on on the band, or hey, we we just went up the chart. We're like number five, and I cut it out. You know, because I was so uh, collecting like that. But nowadays, everything's digital. You can just look it up and find it. But it's not. I don't know. It doesn't carry the same weight. I don't think. I think it'd be interesting because even as a, a child, I had an interesting childhood. Um, I never knew my dad, but um, I was in military school and uh, my stepfather came along and he was, uh, he won an Emmy as a cameraman, sound man. And, and he'd tell me stories. He goes, he was the first, like, for instance, here's two quickies. He was the first person allowed into the Tate LaBianca murder site. And he told me about it. And I wish he never told me about it. And he was standing in the lobby when Oswald was shot. Wow. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm going, this is my... My stepdad, and he was a concert cellist prodigy as a child and touring the world. And then, and then um, when he turned 18, World War II was just ending and he got thrown into the uh, in service and became, because he was a UC, uh, USC grad, he got thrown into being an officer. And uh, then he went to the Korean War. So that, that whole, the war changed his life. He, you know, he was a, a musician. And it's just like, for me, I was in military school and music changed my life because I did my first gig. At, as a kid, I uh, played a UCLA fraternity party. I made 75 bucks, drank beer, and the girls thought I was cute. And I told my mom, I go, this is what I want to do. And she, she couldn't believe it because after almost nine years in military school, I'm second in command of the battalion. I'm going to go to the Air Force school. I'm going to go into the Air Force. I had this whole plan, and it totally got changed because of rock and roll. Great talking to you. You talk all day. So I'm going to let you run. But anyway, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, I wish you the Dude. best on this. Uh, you're carrying on a a great tradition, but listening to it, it, it does. It's fresh. It's got some of the old sounds, but you're doing it like it's a, Hey, shut up and listen to this. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying. I mean, I'm just, like I said, I just do what I feel. I, I, the kind of music I listen to and what I'm into, those influences are in there. Um, and there's a lot of depth to it. And, and I'm, again, I'm so blessed to work with so many great friends on this that I could reach out to versus I could cherry pick a specific guy for a specific part. So there's one song that has five guitar players on it for, for certain things, just so I could get the right colors. It's like, it's like having, like you're painting and you have a huge palette. palette to pick from, you know, this guy's red. I got to put some red over here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> That's it, cool. It, I want to say the luxury of having that, but you've earned that. It took a lot of years to make those connections and those relationships. But yeah, it took a lot of years, but, in doing Ultimate Jam Night, um, which people, if they're interested, ultimatejamnight.com will show you all about what that is. Um, through that, I've, I've had over 2,000 musicians in and out. And I've made a lot of new friends, aside from my career. Um, you know, guys from other bands you meet on tour or whatever, but um, a lot of new friends that come down and play. And, uh, you know, we hang out socially, and it's it's been a great thing for that. And that's why I started it, is so musicians can social network and play together. 